Welcome to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity with your host, Dr. Veerja Jackson. On our program, we explore the flip side of every story. And when you open yourself up to both sides, you'll realize that there are life lessons, powerful tools, and so much more. Now, here is Dr. Veerja Jackson. Hello and welcome to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. I am Dr. Veerja Jackson, the CEO and creative behind Living Strong Consulting. And, you know, with so many stressors in everyone's life right now, children, families, parents, professionals, and and even entire communities, one element that continues to come to the surface is the conversation around food insecurities and deficits, different areas of lack. And as we're getting ready to have a conversation this evening with uh, a powerful individual who has challenged us with a conversation that she wants to share what we're getting wrong about hunger. And we're welcoming Jasmine Crow to our conversation, our flip side discussion this evening. She is working to make the world a better place by reducing food waste and ending hunger. She's hosted events in more than 20 US cities and in the UK, South Africa and Haiti. She has collected and donated more than 2 million food items to causes worldwide and fed more than 80,000 people through her Sunday Soul Homeless Feeding Initiative. Through her years of work feeding vulnerable populations, Jasmine Crow saw a great opportunity for technology to solve a real problem, which is hunger. So in January of 2017, Jasmine founded Gooder, a food management platform that allows users in the food industry to track and redirect surplus food. Under Jasmine's direction, Gooder has now diverted nearly 2 million pounds of food from landfills, and she'll explain why that's so important this evening, and serves clients including Atlanta's Hartsfield-Jackson Airport, the NFL, and Netflix. So in her flip side discussion, we're going to unpack her journey as a tech entrepreneur who has built a multi-million dollar company. As a black female entrepreneur, she will share her impact even through pushback. And we get an opportunity, exciting news to hear about her new children's book, Everybody Eats. So I know I've already shared a lot and you're probably sitting on the edge of your seat to be able to start this conversation. So I want to welcome to the flip side of adversity conversation. Welcome Jasmine Crow. Thank you so much, Dr. Jackson. I'm really happy to be here. We so appreciate all of the powerful work that you're doing. You're actually, I know, actively in the middle of serving communities in this moment. And so you've broken away from that service commitment to jump into this conversation for an hour. I'd love for you to tell our listeners what made you get into the social impact space. You know, when I first graduated from college, I 
thought I wanted to be in sports broadcasting. And so I was so excited to get a job in Phoenix, Arizona, working in sales with the Phoenix Suns. And through that, I started to see just the community relations side of the sports business. And I had an interest in like PR and just really felt like that was a knack for me. But it was through the actual service component that I started to get really excited. That's what I felt like kind of pulled on my heartstrings. Um, So that's really what got me started is working with athletes and seeing them um, do do good, use their star power for good. Um, And that helped, you know, from there it spun up a, a huge company for me. I actually led a consultancy helping celebrities really start, manage, and understand their giving blueprint. And from there, you know, the journey has continued. This is well over a decade ago. I started working in this space in 2008. So we're, you know, we're, we're now working on the second decade. Wow. It's as I listened to how we often start, and I too also started off in uh, the fashion industry. And so recognizing I thought that that was my path, but being able to connect and serve communities and children and families, that heart work that we often talk about absolutely has a, a magnetic pull when we allow our, our hearts and our minds and our spirit to get connected to it. So tell us a little bit about what makes Gooder different than the typical food bank. You know, I think that's a great question. And I appreciate you asking that because we don't get that too often. But I think what really makes Gooder different is that we focus on giving people meals versus giving people food. And I, you know, I did a TED talk about this in 2019. And I recalled, you know, volunteering at a food bank. And I, and I always want to say for a nonprofit organization that I really respect, they do a lot of work with homelessness and they were contacted by a local food bank. So they started doing a pantry for people, you know, that were struggling with poverty in the community. So I volunteered with them and just the food that they received to give to people, it was not cohesive. You know, I, I talk about there being like a gallon of barbecue sauce, like a miniature can of corn. Um, I want to say there was a can of like black beans, or I think they were like Northern beans and uh, a can of peas. And then like the French fried green onions. And I just, you know, a bag of potato chips and some, some noodles and, some Belvita breakfast bars. And there were just so many people waiting for that food. And I thought to myself, what kind of meal are these people going to have when they leave? And so when I set out to start Gooder, I was very intentional in that I'm going to start recovering edible food from businesses that essentially can get meals to people in need. And so we started working with chefs that were preparing meals in homeless shelters and feeding five to 600 homeless men and bringing food to them that they can actually use to create meals. So I think that's one of the things that makes us a little different. I also think that we focus on dignity first. So if you ever attend like a good or pop-up grocery store, people are going to say, do you want almond milk? Would you prefer dairy milk? Are you, do you have any food allergies? Are you vegan? And so being able to provide people with the food that not only do they need, but also food that they want and gives them that dignity back. I think that's, you know, something that makes us a little different. And we also are a technology company. We're not your traditional nonprofit. We really see ourselves as almost a waste management company that's focusing on keeping edible food out of landfill and getting it to people in need. As I listen to the heart of the intentionality of Gooder, 
the first word that came to mind is exactly the word that you shared is dignity. And how often, even in doing community work, do we miss the opportunity to actually see people and create space for them to still feel valued and validated and recognized and um, taking their needs as a priority. So what challenges have you faced as you've done this work and created a, a tech company? The challenges are, oh, I noticed, sorry about that. I would say the challenges are are there. There are so many, you know, um, obviously fundraising is a huge challenge. I think it's important that I let the audience know that as a venture-backed company, meaning I have institutional capital um, that has invested in me, and not a lot, you know, probably $2 million since we got started in 2017. So not, not a ton at all, if you think about the span of how long we've been in business. With that being said, Black women in particular are getting less than 1%. Women as a collective get about 2% of all venture capital funding, which means 98% of all money that is invested into companies is going to men. That's a huge problem. Then women get 2%, and then all races of women are fighting for that 2%. So it is a lot. It's, it's a it's a struggle to say the least. So I think that's been something. I also say the challenge of, you know, getting people to believe that we could solve hunger in a new way is definitely something that we deal with. You know, we we don't see ourselves in competition with food banks or food pantries. I think they serve a great part, purpose. But what we come to the table and say is, we're trying to solve hunger as well. And we, and we have a, a new way to do it. We have a different way that we're thinking about it. And we want to solve this problem because it's not been solved yet. There's still way too many people that are going hungry. And I think a lot of times we're met with so much objection around that. And that's unfortunate, you know, because we really have the ability and the opportunity to make a big dent in this problem. But it can't be that people are seeing us as competition. Right. That's so, it's so true. Uh, and I don't want to miss the opportunity for those who have not actually heard of Gooder or had an opportunity to do the research. Can you explain a little bit about the process of Gooder, how you do it, how is it connected to um, the tech industry and what it, what type of impact beyond, because I know that you're trying to solve hunger, but you also have a green a green impact as well on our planet. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yes, I guess the best way to say it is Gooder is a sustainable food waste management company, and we are leveraging technology to combat hunger and to reduce food waste. And so on one hand, we work with large-scale businesses, so think stadiums, arenas, um, you know, your corporate cafeterias, colleges, and universities to divert their surplus food. Um, and, you know, on the other side, we work with largely kind of brands. You know, today we're working with UPS and the Atlanta Hawks, and we are helping them re readdress and rethink how they solve hunger in the community. So we're doing a full out Thanksgiving giveaway where every family is leaving with not only turkey, but they're leaving with breakfast meat. They're leaving with, um, you know, lunch meat. They're leaving with dinner meats as well as eggs and bread and beverages and drinks and teas and lemonades. So we really focus on giving families this dignity back and we're helping you know, businesses not reduce waste. And it is a green thumb thing, right? We are making sure that this food, if it ends up in landfill, it rots, it's producing methane gas, it's harmful on the environment, it's a leading contributor to global climate change. But as we work with businesses to get that food diverted, now we're helping to improve the environment. Mm 
it's a twofold. So we're getting ready to take a break. But before we do that, I'd appreciate you also sharing, not only are you serving and supporting communities and families, but what type of impact is Gooder directly having for children who are facing hunger? We're having a lot, you know, and I think we could de- we can um, dig into that a bit more. But essentially, what we are doing is we have a neighborhood eats program that we run every weekend, uh, where we go into largely, I would say, largely like Section Eight housing, so largely businesses where there is, you know, are, are largely um, apartment complexes where about I would say ninety nine percent of the residents are are living on on or below the marginal poverty line. So one of our neighborhoods is, um, I want to say the average salary over there is about 9,000 a year. That's the average income for our families, which is nothing as we all know. And so we're there every Saturday, we're providing hot meals on site, hot meals to go, giving the kids meal packs to get them through Sunday. So we help bridge the gap. So that's just one of the programs. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about some more after the break. We absolutely will. As uh, as an educator at heart, being able to understand how, especially in, and I'm hoping you'll be able to share a little bit, especially in and through the past two years where I can't believe we're talking about this pandemic and the fallout from the pandemic going into 2022. Um, but I'm interested in unpacking that more as well as what have you noticed and how has the pandemic impacted uh, Gooder's service, service delivery, as well as what you're noticing in communities? So if you are listening in, we are still going to unpack quite a bit after this next break. To cue this up, we are getting ready to go into our last growth webinar As you know, if you've been following Living Strong for all of 2021, we have focused on being able to identify a growth plan. How are you not just surviving, but actually creating a growth plan to thrive? If you haven't had an opportunity to log into one of our free growth webinars, don't miss the last one of 2021 on December 7th, our first Tuesday's webinars, which are all free, will happen on our website. You can register at www.livingstrongllc.com, December 7th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We will jump into our last law, the law of building capacity. And I think that is apropos with our conversation this evening with Jasmine Crow from the organization Gooder. So while we're taking this break, take a moment, jump over to our website and grab your spot for our free webinar, December 7th, 7 p.m. Standard Eastern time. All right, we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Life is now in session. Are you present? 
We don't get a dress rehearsal in life. So why not grab every moment you can to grow? Join me every first Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific for our live webinars. We're creating a growth plan and unpacking the 15 invaluable laws of growth by John Maxwell. Instead of waiting for growth to just happen by accident, let's get intentional about creating a growth plan for you. Let's do it together. Log in to www.livingstrongllc.com and grab your spot for First Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 Pacific. And let's grow together. It's your time. This is Living Strong, the flip side of adversity with Dr. Veerdra Jackson. To reach the live show today, call into 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at livingstrongllc.com. Now, back to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. Welcome back. We have been having a conversation with the CEO of Gooder, Jasmine Crow, and she just scratched the surface in our uh, segment just before the break in beginning to explain how Gooder is impacting the lives of children and this issue of food insecurity. So Jasmine, I know there was more that you wanted to begin to continue to unpack around how you're serving and supporting children and what you're seeing within communities. Yeah, you know, I think another way that we're supporting uh, children is during the pandemic, Gooder really was the logistical arm for several school districts to get meals delivered to students uh, that were learning virtually. So if you think about how many kids depend on free breakfast and lunch at schools, and then when that stopped, you know, there was no way for a lot of those kids to be able to receive that food. A lot of the schools had like grab and go meal kits that you could pick up, but some families didn't have vehicles. And so what Gooder did is we started delivering those meals directly to the doors of those students and families. Um, So that's something that during the pandemic, I will forever be really proud um, that we were able to do beyond what we're doing currently um, with our our work for our Neighborhood Eats program and our Snack Pack program. And we really focus on getting as much food as possible to children that need it. Um, And I would say that the, the need is still so high and I never want people to lose sight of that there is still a great need for access to food in this country. And and Gooder is really trying to fill it, not only for children, but also for senior citizens. Absolutely. When I think about how, I actually just have a logistical question as you started talking about being a female entrepreneur. I know as I looked at um, your background and how you started with, um, I think it was called your Sunday Soul. What was it called? Sunday Soul? Sunday Soul, yeah. Yes, your Sunday Soul um, feeding program. Can you, as there are female entrepreneurs who listen in, can you give some insight or advice on how did you scale up from uh, the the initial starting place of Sunday Soul 
to a platform that is actually international now. What were some key things, if you think about your process, that you could share with other female entrepreneurs to give them insight on scaling up and thinking bigger? You know, I want to say first and foremost that it was not and has not been easy and just continues to be a challenge. You know, um, I didn't have access to funding. I wasn't able to go to my parents and say, hey, I've got this great idea. Would you guys, you know, invest $10,000? I mean, that just wasn't an option for me. So I took kind of the long and hard road. I started entering pitch competitions. I overcame my fear of public speaking and really just like started practicing like telling my story in a mirror uh, so that people could learn what it was that I wanted to do and what I was trying to do. And so I used the prize money from those pitch competitions to actually build the technology. I started working with customers um, before I had the technology, just finding some early believers in the idea and letting them kind of help me um, get to that next that next goal, if you will. Um, and it was just, it was bootstrapping, right? It was like every dollar that I made, I had to put towards something. I raised some small capital, but not a lot. Um, and I really focused on customers. I think that's the toolkit there is if you're not going to be able to get investors, if you don't have people that could just sew into your idea, your best recourse is to get actual paying customers and let them be your investors. Yes. How did you overcome the those difficult moments as i think about just literally working hard what did you need to do for yourself and for your mindset to keep you focused and in in the forward moving mo- momentum you know it was definitely hard i think what you have to do is encourage yourself and i was a big journaler and i still am you know my mom gave me my first journal probably when I was like eight or nine. And so I always have just been someone who just like journals. And I, I remember, and I, and sometimes I go back, which I, if anyone else is a journaler, I encourage you to do this as well. But a lot of times I will go back and I will read my very first journal entry or I'll start thinking through like what things were looking like for me then. And those journal entries really lead me to, to just a place of gratitude for all that I have overcome. And so I think that was like my original self-care. You know, a lot of times people think of, you know, self-care is like getting your nails done and, you know, getting a massage and just vacationing. You know, that's I look at that as like me time. I really look at self-care for myself as like, what am I doing from a mind standpoint to make sure that I can face the next day? Because there definitely have been a lot of days and I'm a very vulnerable person where I've been like, you know, one of the things we do at our team in our team meetings is we have temperature check-ins. Like, are you green, red, or yellow? If you're green, like everything is great. If you're yellow, you know, there are some things that are are some concerns that are causing you some worry. And then if you're red, it's like all hands on deck. What can we do to help this person? And so a lot of times it's just like being real with yourself on what you're going through. And that's one of the things I always used to focus on. That is so valuable as I think about organizations that as a coach, we have been talking about how self-care isn't just the thing that you're buying or the place that you're going, but it's actually how you're paying attention to yourself. And what you just shared as a tip or tool for leaders, I think is the next level conversation. So often organizations have placed self-care 
on the shoulders solely of the employee or the person who's in the mission or in the ministry or doing the work and how are you taking care of yourself is so has been thrown around so often that much of what we've been talking about lately is as organizations as leaders how are you integrating very intentional approaches for for not only people to commit to taking care of themselves, but how do you model it? How do you put it in front of them? How do you consistently bring it up in staff meetings, in memos, in the routines of their day? And so being able to model that for your staff, I think that would help it become integrated into the overall practice and even your culture, would you say? Absolutely. You got to talk about it. I think that's the main, that's how you model it is you say, like anytime when I start my meetings and we're doing temperature checks, I say, guys, I'm a yellow or I'm a, like you start it that way. Cause people want to know that they could feel okay to, to share that they may be stressed. And I think if they, if they see it from the tops down, it makes it a lot easier for them to digest. The other thing that I do is I make it very okay for people to take days off, you know, and, and we're not being, we're not shaming someone, you know, if you need a mental health day, take a mental health day. If you need some time off, take some time off. Like those are the things that I'm making it very clear that people can do. It sounds like true integrity at work, which I think also goes back to how you connect it with your hard work and even the process that you built, the example you shared of building capacity in even going into overcoming your own fears and working through um, your pitch. Many times as a coach, we've talked about with our listeners, with other guests, as, as well as clients, really understand why you're doing something and the clearer your why becomes, the better you are at getting people to believe you. You had mentioned earlier that part of the challenge is getting individuals to believe that your process is, is realistic or mm-hmm. something that actually can be done. What are some of the ways that people have pushed back on your idea and that you've had to kind of create a new way of communicating it or messaging it? Oh, there's been so many, you know, I think people will say things like, oh, well, you know, hunger is already being solved or the food bank is already doing this. And I, and I would say to them, like, if something is being solved, that doesn't mean that it has been solved until we have no one that's going hungry. There's still opportunity. So those are things that I would kind of push back on and just kind of say, like, let's never just give up on the idea that we still have more people to serve, that there's still more people that need to have access to food. Um, You know, I think that's been kind of one of the biggest pushbacks. Um, sometimes people will push back and say, well, like, why are you not a nonprofit? And I, and I always say to them, I have years of experience in building nonprofits. That was the playground I was in for many years before I started Gooder. And I was intentional about not being a nonprofit because I really saw the business case and what I'm doing. And I also tell people that even as a nonprofit, you're still a business, you know, but there's just two different ways that some people want to grow. Absolutely. Um, as I'm thinking about uh, 
making the opportunity to impact uh, communities, entire families, um, a part of your mission, your vision, uh, whether it be nonprofit or for-profit, at the bottom, at the foundation, integrity has to be there. And um, that really sounds like that's the place that you started, you're continuing to build, and you're intentional about reaching and impacting uh, entire communities. Where are you besides the Atlanta area? What other cities or um, what other communities are you impacting? We currently are headquartered in Atlanta, so that is our largest market, but we're also expanding into Dallas, Denver, uh, Colorado, um, Orlando, Florida, working in um, Charlotte, North Carolina. We've done a lot of work in New Orleans, Miami, uh, Philadelphia, New Jersey, Los Angeles. Um, and our goal is to just really be all over the country over the next few years. Again, and I hope that those who have consistently listened um, to our flip side conversations, when you have a foundation of integrity, it just opens up the doors for expansion um, <laughs> because your truth, then others catch fire to it and want to run with it. So I want to switch gears a little bit and take a moment to talk about your book. What inspired you to write your first children's book, Everybody Eats? You know, um, I'm always asked, will I solve hunger in my lifetime? I get that question so often. And when you think about this, Dr. Jackson, we have one in eight people on the planet that are experiencing food insecurity. So asking me like, do you think you're gonna solve hunger is a really you know, big audacious goal that I can't even speak to, you know? But what I wanted to do, I'm a new mom, I have a 10 month old. Um, and what I wanted to do is really just inspire the next generation to be able to, I guess, keep, keep this, pick up the torch and keep it going. So that was really what I focused on. You know, I really was focusing on like, is there a way for me to pass the torch? And if I don't solve hunger in my lifetime, I know I want that to be my legacy. Um, I will, I will be doing this kind of work no matter what, even if, you know, God forbid, good or doesn't survive, you'll still find me serving people in some way somehow. But beyond that, I wanted the next generation to pick it up and keep it going. You took the word right out of my mouth, legacy, uh, as and congratulations on being a new mom. Thank you so much. So, so, you know, I have to ask, so how is juggling being a mom, running, running an organization, impacting communities, serving around the country? How are you juggling all of that? That is such a huge question that we get all of the time. Yeah, it's a lot, you know, it is a lot. And I always say my partner um, is in the healthcare industry. So the last two years for both of us have been just a whirlwind. You know, I've been on the ground serving people with food. He's been in the hospital serving people with COVID. And you know what I mean? It's been just this pull and tug, if you will. Um, but what I do do and something that I really, I take a lot of pride in is, I leave my laptop at the office on the days that I know I'm coming back in the office the next day. And, and that's important so that I literally don't bring work home. I wait until I get like, if I can't, I maybe will check emails on my phone, but I'm very intentional on making sure that I'm leaving work home when I can. 
Um, the other thing is, you know, we do things like date nights and we're really intentional about, you know, making sure that we still have time together. Great, albeit a lot of times our kid is with us because <laughs> we don't have a lot of family in, in, in Atlanta. Um, I, I have a younger sister, but she's definitely in the age where she's definitely not trying to babysit. So I think a lot of times it's just, you know, the baby has to come with us. But at the end of the day, we really just focus on keeping the promises that we made to each other and to ourselves. So that's, you know, making sure that we meet and we have our time together um, and, you know, doing what I can to, to not bring work home. Because I think me being the entrepreneur in our relationship, I bring work home a lot more often than he does. Mm -hmm. I think about those workaholics, those that have been driven, who feel like I've just got to do just the next thing. How would you say, or what advice would you give to the female entrepreneur who is actually being driven, but driven out of fear? What advice would you give her as she's listening to you this in this episode? I think, you know, fear and pressure, they build a lot of beautiful things. If you have an idea, you know, I don't think you can be fearful. I, you know, I tell a story. A lot of people were telling me there was no way that Gooder was going to work. I mean, just so many people were like, this will never work. What are you doing? You might as well give it up. No one's going to ever pay for that. But I also didn't have anything else to lose. I think my fear now was losing what I've started as opposed to not getting started. And I think that's a different kind of fear. I'm much more happier with having a fear of like, what if I lose everything I've worked for than having a fear of I'm not going to start because what if it doesn't work? What if it's not successful? And that's a much better place to be. You said the word beautiful and fear in the same sentence. <laughs> I don't think too many people would do that. And, and being able to recognize that you can actually use fear as a catalyst to keep you moving forward, that it doesn't have to be something that holds you stuck and recognizing that it's something that can absolutely strengthen what we call your reach muscle to continue to have you taking risks and moving forward uh, and recognizing that your assignment is in front of you, not behind you and not actually under you, as you talked about legacy. Well, we're getting ready to take another quick break. And if you have not had an opportunity yet, Jasmine, where could they find the book? What's the website? The website is everybodyeatsbook.com. So if you have not yet logged into the website and gotten your copy or looked at the copy, take this moment during this break to do that and to invest in and support this legacy, this mission, and a very powerful opportunity to give back to our children and helping them recognize that they can be a part of this story. So when we come back, I want to understand what the book is actually teaching children about this mission. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Life is now in session. 
Are you present? We don't get a dress rehearsal in life, so why not grab every moment you can to grow? Join me every first Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific for our live webinars. We're creating a growth plan and unpacking the 15 invaluable laws of growth by John Maxwell. Instead of waiting for growth to just happen by accident, let's get intentional about creating a growth plan for you. Let's do it together. Log in to www.livingstrongllc.com and grab your spot for first Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 Pacific. And let's grow together. It's your time. This is Living Strong, the flip side of adversity with Dr. Veardra Jackson. To reach the live show today, call into 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at livingstrongllc.com. Now, back to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. Welcome back. We have been having a fruitful and powerful conversation with Jasmine Crow, the CEO of Gooder. And she's been sharing openly and honestly her journey of building the organization, of creating impact for communities, and now uh, sharing her legacy that she wants to be able to impact young people with her book, not only through her food, but also with her book, Everybody Eats. So Jasmine, can you tell us a little bit about what does the book actually teach children about hunger? You know, the book, I guess it follows the protagonist. Her name is Carter. And really what the book is teaching is that you know, everyone can experience hunger. I think that's the the most kind of pertinent lesson that I'm trying to get kids and families to know is that, you know, she she volunteers with her friend, her parents at a food bank. And at the food bank, she runs into a friend from school. And she is like, you know, racking her brain, really trying to understand how it is that one of her friends can be going hungry. And she just thinks that's, you know, so terrible and she wants to help. And she's asking her parents, like, what can we do to help? Why, you know, why is our friend going hungry? And then she goes on this journey uh, to really help solve that problem for her friend. I think the other thing that's really great is that she is, it's a character building tool, right? She's not gossiping. She's not telling people, you know, that her friend is hungry. She literally is just thinking through how can she help her friend? And I think that's what I love about it. So during our break, you were sharing how, Um, Schools are connecting with this project. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, we have several schools where we're providing the book to. um, And I I love it. We've seen a lot of schools that have ordered. um, But yeah, we have a free book donation program um, where people can donate the book. They can, teachers can request a copy of our book. Um, I'm also looking to do a lot of book tours. So coming into schools, reading this book to children. um, And my goal is to get this book in the hands of a thousand elementary school teachers free of charge across the country. 
So now you have been charged by Jasmine Crow. You've heard her goal and you now have an opportunity to get connected. And because I know there are many educators, uh, I sit on the board of the Black Women's Educational Alliance. And so I know that the the hands and feet of, of women who can jump in and absolutely help you with that goal and make it happen. When I think about how so many children have been struggling, they were struggling before the pandemic um, and they have been struggling after. And then the face of hunger has continued to change. And, And in some respects, I think individuals have discovered Um, the parallel process of lives, that it's just by grace, there go I. And so being able to, um, again, just as you shared, have um, that character moment of what am I going to do when I see a fellow man or woman or family in need Uh, Am I going to gossip or am I actually going to roll up my sleeves and get involved and get connected? Can you tell individuals how, what are the other ways that they could potentially support your mission and your work? Yeah, I think one of the biggest ways that people can support our work is just to connect us to new businesses, you know, connect us to potentially, you know, companies that you work with, businesses that you work at, let them know what we do on the food diversion side. But also if you work for a large scale company like a UPS or a state farm, let them know what Gooder is doing to address hunger and maybe their community relations team can join us to get started as well. So you mentioned two companies that are very different uh, categories that I would think of when I'm talking about food distribution. Can you give a couple of characteristics to give our listeners some ideas about whether or not their company might be a good fit or ways to think about companies outside of just connected to food? I think the the way that they could think about it is they're trying to, you know, increase their carbon footprint, you know, being able to to be a better, improve their carbon footprint is what I should have said, which I hope all companies are, then they're a good fit. You know, you don't have to be a food service business to have food. A lot of people think like, oh, you know, you should be talking to Kraft. But if State Farm or Google has all this food at their corporate campus, that's a potential customer of ours that we can help them divert that food. Um, So everybody can get involved in this in this space. And that's what we're really looking forward to. So again, I just want to take a a quick kind of turn a little bit because I think about um, there are several female entrepreneurs who follow what types of supports or connections do you have you found to help you as a female entrepreneur? I know you mentioned how it was hard work, bootstraps. What kind of coaching supports or circles do you find yourself in that would be a resource for other female entrepreneurs who want to get their idea off of the ground and actually in front of others to begin to serve and to build and expand their capacity. 
really great quote that I love that says, plan your work, then work your plan. And I think that's what female entrepreneurs have to do. Just start thinking through, writing it down. What's the plan going to be? What are the next steps going to be? And then begin to work those plans. I think that's my biggest point of advice. A lot of people have great ideas, but lack the execution. Mm-hmm. And you got to execute on that idea. You just said a whole word. Um, so often, uh, as people have asked me, how uh, how have I built Living Strong? How am I doing the things that I do? And I think just as you just shared, you know what? It's hard work. So be willing to do the work and think about your plan. Be strategic. Write it down. Um, and think about really why you want to be able to do what you do. Can I ask you, again, you shared earlier that you're vulnerable, so I want to ask a vulnerable question. What is something that stays on your mind? What is something that continues to, to, that you're continuing to wrestle with, think about that's in either in your work personally or professionally? You know, I think just surviving. I think that's the main thing that stays on my mind. You know, there are so many people you know, not only in the community, but our employees that are depending on us. And I think that I want to make sure that that never leaves. I think that's my biggest thing. I think I want to continue to make sure that we're always able to serve just more and more and more people. So I think that's the thing that really that sticks to me. I think that's what I really focus on. So wanting to be able to sustain what you're doing, continuing to be able to provide, I think that's something that a lot of organizations and companies have um, begun to really resonate with as have any of the fallout from the pandemic actually had a negative impact on your work and your sustainability? Um, I think on the donate, on the food, you know, the food diversion side, absolutely, because so many businesses were closing and we didn't know what we were going to do, but on the, the hunger side, no, sadly, more people were experiencing hunger. And I think our work actually increased in that mm. space. Mm. So as I think about those who are trying to navigate um, this season, this time, and being worried about um, their next meal, um, being worried about uh Will their business or their company be able to continue to survive and grow? What would you say um, to communities that are actually in need of your services, but I think of you as a, a beacon of light in communities? What word of encouragement would you offer those who are listening who feel like they're just not sure about their ability to continue to press through um, this season, what's something that you would share with them just to continue to be of encouragement? I would just share that, you know, joy always comes in the morning and that as hard as it seems that it will be, I think things can always get easier and just to continue to persevere and not give up. So I think that's the main thing. And I would just tell people to do is just keep going. I appreciate that. Joy comes in the morning. So we have about two minutes left. I want to make sure that everyone understands 
how they can support you, where they can find out more about Gooder, and again, how can they get access to the book? So if you can close us out with those three things. Yeah, so I am Jasmine Crow on everything. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, as well as LinkedIn. So feel free to connect with me there. You can learn more about the book at everybodyeatsbook.com. And you can get in contact with Gooder. We are Gooder Co. across social media. And that's G-O-O-D-R dot C-O. And that is our website. And we're Gooder Co. across all of the um, platforms. And we're the Gooder Co. on Twitter. Everywhere else, we're Gooder Co. Fantastic. Jasmine, I just want to say thank you so much. You put, you jumped away from uh, a very fast-paced, impactful day to have this conversation with us, and it is greatly appreciated. Your work is needed and powerful, and I'm going to take your charge of a thousand schools back to the Black Women's Educational Alliance and encourage yes. all of the educators who are online listening. We have an opportunity to continue to support and move this mission forward. So thank you so much again for this conversation. Thank you for the opportunity to serve and support what you are doing. Check out her book, Everybody Eats. And as I look at our listeners um, on our social media platforms, hearts are just going up in the air in gratitude for who you are and for what you do. And to be able to connect with the work that Living Strong is doing, please check out our website at www.livingstrongllc.com. We are here to support, to serve, and to continue to be love and light on our planet and within our community. Thank you so much for being a part of the flip side of adversity and continue to live strong. Have a good one. Thank you for tuning in to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. Please join your host, Dr. Veerdra Jackson, for another edition of our show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.